0: speaking and teaching on the grace-based relationships and in particular talking about the family. Last well, last Sunday or maybe a couple of weeks ago now I received an email from a pastoral network that allotted me to an event that's about to take place this next Tuesday. That's very, very important in the life of our nation. And it's interesting that God had already helped in this way doing these teachings on the family when this information came to me. And that is on Tuesday April 28th the United States Supreme Court will hear the arguments to decide whether to allow homosexual couples, the right to marry no matter where they reside or whether the states will have the right to say that marriage is only between a man and a woman. This Tuesday, coming up, in these next few days, the U.S. Supreme Court, will hear the arguments from both sides And sometime in June of this year, they're going to come out with a landmark decision. What is at stake? They're going to decide whether same-sex marriage that takes place in California can be legal in Georgia, regardless of whether the Georgians voted for it or not. Or if they allow each state To make their own determination as to their preference for same-sex marriage. That argument will be heard this next Tuesday from 11.30 to 1.30 p.m. And sometime in June, they will give a ruling. I'm going to tell you folks, I never thought I would live to see this season. But we're here. So this morning, I want to speak to us on same-sex marriage. What does the Bible say? Now, you may say, Pastor, what are you going to deal with it? Why are you going to talk about this? First of all, that memo said to us, the ministries all over the U.S. should please try to minister on this subject today. Now, I wasn't, again, realize this, we're already on this vein yes. when we received that memo. Yes. So it's just a confirmation of the direction in which we had been going. But most importantly, as believers, we should not just stay on the uh, circumference of the debate. We need to understand the real issues. Don't presume that you know what the case or the, or the issues are. Amen? Now, how did we get here? How did we get to the place where in 2015 we'll be talking about same-sex marriage. We need to go back a little bit. Let me go back to Tuesday, February 25, 2004. Tuesday, February 25, 2004. The then-President of the United States, George Walker Bush, endorsed and proposed to the U.S. Senate and House, and House of Congress a redefinition of marriage to be between man and a woman. Actually, he made this statement from the Roosevelt uh, Room of the White House. I mean, after I got all, I had to go back and do all this research. He actually made a proposal. He saw the trend of events after the mayor of San Francisco back then started giving marriage licenses to same sex couple in San Francisco Judge Bush said wait a minute if we don't do something now we have a bigger devil to fight later. At the time he made the statement in February 25 2004 he Judge Bush had the Republican majority in the Senate and in Congress. Now, just so you understand, it is a difficult task to make an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. It is very difficult. Two steps involved in the process. Number one, he must have majority, no, not just majority, I'm sorry, two-third majority, both in the Senate and in the Congress, after which now that decision must be ratified by three-fourths of all the states in the Union. In that case, 38 states must now sign on if it passes the Senate in Congress, are you following me so far? I make I've been very slow, I being very deliberate, so it's very difficult. So difficult, it's only happened 17 times in 215 years. The last time being in 1992. Are you following me? Two-step process, very difficult only happened 17 times in 215 years, and the last time being in 1992. So the senators and the Congress said, wait a minute, we won't need this. We won't need this. It's too difficult. Even though it's doable, it is doable, but they recommended at that time that it would be tough medicine for a simple problem. Now, now, today, April 26, 2015, they wished they had addressed that difficult but doable task than trying to get a reversal because they've let the genie out of the bottle. Are you following me? So that's where we are now. Unfortunately, our lawmakers did not have the will nor the resolve to move forward with the proposed amendment because they thought it would have been an unnecessary tough medicine. It never dawned on the lawmakers that the debate will escalate to where we are now. So, what is the gay community saying? I've given you the background. Now, let's talk about the issues. What are they saying? How did we get here? What is the point that is being made? Number one the gay community is saying number one they are made that way. Number two they are also saying that homosexuality is of no harm to the participants or anybody else. Number three They're saying, if it fits right to those involved, it's nobody else's business. And number four, they're saying, it's just a matter of their own civil rights. Four major things. There may be other issues around us, but these are the four pillars of the argument of the gay community. Number one, that they are born or made that way. Number two, That homosexuality is of no harm to the participants or anybody else. And number three, if it feels right to those involved, what's your business? And number four, that it's a matter of civil rights violation. Let me take it one at a time. And then we're going to go back and see what the Bible says about it. Number one, the issue of being made that way. Let me say to us that there's no conclusive evidence that homosexuals are made that way. Now, there are three main studies cited by gay rights activists in support of the argument. Three, three main uh, studies. Number one, Hamer's X chromosome research. And I may not be calling these names properly. And if you have any questions about them, you can ask Revelation. She can give you the copies of these later. <laughs> I don't want. You, why are you guys laughing? Hamas X chromosome research, number one. Number two, LaVey's study of the hypothalamus. Number three, Bailey and Pilate's study of identical twins who are homosexual. So three main studies that were done. Okay? Now hear this. In all the three cases, the researchers had a vested interest in obtaining a certain outcome because... They themselves were homosexuals. More importantly, their studies did not stand up to the scrutiny of other scientific researchers. Also, the media typically did not explain the methodological flaws in these studies and typically oversimplify the results. Now, so as far as we know today, as far as we know today, there is no reliable evidence to date that homosexual behavior is determined by a person's genes. Now, please understand what I'm saying though. There are, there are reports or studies done that says that is the case. I just cited three of them. However, what other researchers are saying that is that those studies are flawed. Because those studies were done by people who had a vested interest in the outcome of the result. You can fix a result to show you anything. Okay. So that's, that addresses the case of being made that way. Let, let, me, let me add this. Let me add this to that. Let me add this to that. It is true that some people are born with certain genetical defects. We know that. We know that people are born blind. People are born Uh, maybe with some kind of disorder, one disorder or the other. We know that. But we also know that when and if those things do occur, individuals that are affected by those genetic disorders do not accept those things. We always seek remedy to fix whatever it is because somehow we understand that this is a disorder and therefore needs to be addressed. The blind tries to get sight. The person that has a syndrome, whatever it is, tries to find a remedy to fix that situation. Why? Because history, biology, and common sense has told us that these things are disorders that can be treated or at least treatment sought for them. So if it is true, and I don't know that it is, that a person is born that way. Quote unquote. Sort of. <laughs> so we can also at least say. Because we recognize. And I'm going to give information. That helps us know that this is, this, this is not. Uh, uh, the way God intended for it to be. Because we recognize, recognize that that's not the case. We should seek remedy for that as well. Let me move on because of time. Second thing. Second argument is that. It does not harm the participants or anybody else. Well, I want to say to you that homosexual at- activity is notoriously disease prone. In addition to diseases associated with heterosexual promiscuity, homosexual actions facilitate the transmission of anal herpes, hepatitis B, intestinal parasites. Scaposis, sarcoma, and AIDS. Research indicates that homosexual men in the 1990, in 1990 can expect to live 8 to 21 years less than other people. And it definitely affects others because children raised in a homosexual household come under the homosexual influence and consequently perhaps will become, in their adult years, also homosexuals. Number three point is that gay activists claim that homosexual activity is nobody's business other than those involved. This cannot be true. Because God, our designer, and our creator has authority over all aspects of our lives. And therefore, if we know that he's saying that he doesn't desire this for us, that should be enough. Lastly, the issue of the civil rights. And this it's where I think the body of Christ really missed the big time. When this argument became a civil rights argument, it became extremely difficult for the church to present its case. Now, we know that there has been a race problem in the country. We know there has been a gender inequality in the country. And over time, we've sought to redress those issues through the civil rights movement or the equal rights amendment that allows a woman and a man to be recognized equally on a job and so forth and so on. So the argument here is if we fix the race, gen- the race issue and fixing, we are fixing the gender issue, why cannot a man who desires to marry another man or a woman who desires to marry another woman, why can they not have a... As well, just like the blacks or the female uh, have made a lot of noise and have gotten their situation addressed. You know the difference? The race issue and the gender issue addresses who I am. I'm a black man. You're a woman. But the homosexual activities addresses what you do. Huge difference. Huge difference. So the point here being made is that's the debate. That's what they've said. And that's why they've done the kind of uh, latitude that they've had. But we should understand that that should not be enough to get us to where we are now. So now I've talked to you about the, uh, what the gay community is saying. Now let's talk about what the Bible says. Let's talk about what the Bible says. So we know that the gay community is saying they were made up, they were born that way. It does not harm anybody else. If it's right for them, why should why should anybody else care? And lastly, that it's a civilised thing. Now, let's talk about what the Bible says. Number one, well, let's actually go there. Matthew chapter nineteen. I just realised I've not read the scripture. Matthew chapter nineteen. Matthew chapter 19. Verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now they're asking Jesus this question. So he responds to them in verse 4. And he answered and said to them, have you not read? That he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. So here these guys, they came to ask Jesus a question about marriage and divorce. And immediately, on two occasions, he references or refers them back to the beginning. To Genesis. And he made a very important point. He who made them at the beginning. Do you not recall? What the beginning says in Genesis, chapters 1 and chapter 2, that he created them, male and female. So Jesus, in saying that, is throwing weight behind the idea that marriage, in the mind of God, from the very beginning, was to be between a man and a woman. And when you go to the Genesis account, I'm not going to read it all here, but you can read it on your own. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. Genesis Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 25. Three things we see in that Genesis account. Number one, a man was to leave father and mother. Not father and father or mother and mother. If you are to get married and be joined to another person, a man was expected to leave his father and mother. Very specific. Not to leave father and father or mother and mother. As the case with the same-sex marriage will present itself to us today. Second thing we see in Genesis, when God created a partner for Adam, he created Eve, not another Adam. And God should know better. Number three, and this is the final point on this, on this, on this issue here, that complementary design of the male and female anatomy is expressly only suited for heterosexual relationships. Very plain. Hello? Now, that's what Jesus said. Now, let's go back and see what the other scriptures say about this same subject. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 26-27. And the way this is going now, I can almost see I'm going to have to take about three-minute questions from you guys at the end. Because you guys are looking at me very, very funny. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. For this reason, and this is Paul speaking, God gave them up to vile passions, even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also the men, living the natural use of the woman, burning their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. will inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse Eight, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, and murderers of, mother, of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, and for sodomites, on and on and on it goes. Amen? These passages indicate that homosexual arts and the passion are unnatural. They are shameful. And they are contrary to sound doctrine. Now, one more thing the Bible says about this. And then I'm going to move on to the other part of this message. People ask the question. Why is this area, why, why is the body, so, the body of Christ so agitated about same-sex marriage issue? Why, why is it such a big deal? If it's a sin that's shameful, that's unnatural, that is vile, why is it any more shameful or any worse than other sins? I think that's a legitimate question, isn't it? Sin is sin. So why is this much, why is it getting more radar time, more attention than other sins? Very simple. This is the one sin That stops the plan of God. For procreation in its tracks. Because two men cannot cannot reproduce. And two women cannot reproduce. And God's charge from Genesis. From the very beginning. Was that we will be fruitful. We will multiply. And replenish the earth. So if we leave it up. To this present secular sentiment and our emotions to say, well, we are living a new day in a new time. And because of that, seed this ground. Then what it means in effect that God's plan stops. Did you understand what I'm saying to you? And let me just say this to the younger generation. You guys have done incredibly well. You guys are the millennials. And and, and I'm sure that President Barack Obama will be thankful and grateful to your, you guys' sentiment to get him in the White House. This is what I mean by that. Our younger generation is absolutely color neutral. They don't see black or white. They don't. It's the younger generation of Americans that got Barack Obama in the White House. The older white people will not vote for him. But the younger ones do not see the color, prejudice, and, uh, and, and issue the way the older generation see. My generation up, God will have to help us. My generation up, everything is in black and white, male and female. And we go through these uh, issues in our head because we remember history. We lived in history. We were part of the movement. We know what happened. And we are not able to remove ourselves from that. But this younger generation, they were not there. They never saw Martin the King. Nobody ever told them they can't drink at the fountain. They read about it, they heard about it, but they didn't live through that. So they are free from all of those encumbrances. But the downside for them that they need to be watchful for, as much as we celebrate the fact that they're able to see above racial issues above gender issues we need to be careful that they don't become so liberal and left focused yes, because when it comes to the issue that we are talking about right now if you go home and engage your children you'll be surprised that they have a t- totally different opinion yes. you'll be amazed at our younger people why is it bad why is it wrong why is this why is that even though they are born again and they should understand the scripture and the plan of God. But they live in a society in an age that is totally different from us. And we must recognize and acknowledge that. And help them to understand what God is saying and why it's important for them to follow God and not their sentiments. And the current, not the current current opinion that's going on around them. Amen. They are making significant headways in certain areas of their lives. And we should commend that. We should thank God for them for that. But in other areas, they need to be careful. They are walking on the slippery slope. If they are not careful, years from now, they will have removed the ancient landmarks of the fathers who built the things that they are enjoying now. The liberty that we are enjoying now were built and paid for by some people. We must never, ever forget that. So the reason this is tougher is because this stops the plan of God for procreation. Two men can never give birth. And two women in a cohabitation relationship can never give birth. It's not possible. And let me also say this. Same-sex marriages do not last. Research is telling us that less than five percent of gays ever had relationship that lasted three years or more. Sex is not enough. Not even in a male and female relationship. You have to have more than that. Okay? Passion alone cannot sustain an inherently unstable social unit it's not possible so you have to have something more than that okay now the other part of this message how should the church respond to this this is really where i'm going how should the church respond to this and i myself personally struggled with this let the truth be known. I struggled with this until God ministered this to me. I said, ah, oh, now I see what you're doing. Let me, let me say this. In preparing for this, I had to do a little research and a little study. You need to know that within the gay community itself, they're split into two. I didn't know this. They're split into two. Two groups within the gay community. The one group wants everything, same sex marriage as we are debating it. Then you have this other group within the gay community. They say, Yes, we are gay. And the definition for being gay, let me see, let me give you that. Is just is being attracted to people of the same sex. So we are gay. However, for this other group. However, even though we are gay, we have a fear of God. We have seen the scriptures and we cannot explain or dance around what God is saying. We know that any kind of homosexual activity, man to man or woman to woman, is wrong. Therefore, we are, we maintain our being gay, but we are going to be celibate. Did you hear what I just said? Okay. Let, 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 me, let, me, let, me, let me take off my jacket. Let me, I need to... I need, I need to... This is what I'm saying. And, and maybe, I, maybe I'll save this for the time of question and answer because you guys... You guys two groups within the community... The one group that wants to do everything. They want the same right as men and women and become married and have you know, same-sex relationship. But the other group says, you know what? Yeah, I'm a man, I'm attracted to another man. Or I'm a woman, I'm attracted to another woman. But I will never live at that attraction. Because I know that God does not like it, it is wrong, and therefore we will be celibate. We will not advocate for same-sex marriages. We just keep our gayness, but we won't act out on it. So the point I want to talk about now for the next 15 minutes is how should the church respond? This was big for me. This was huge. Why is this so big? Because let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what your view is on this matter, no matter our views and our disposition on this matter, you must also understand that God loves these people regardless. And if you have a problem with that, then you have a serious problem. I had a problem with that. And God had to straighten me out. And the last part of this message is not to help you to get straightened out. Let me tell you something. Have you ever been amazed that they brought a woman to Jesus, Brother Victor? who was caught in adultery in the very act. But by the time she interacted with Jesus, Jesus never referenced the adultery. He didn't call her an adulteress. Whoever Jesus found, oh my God, in Matthew chapter 7, he saw the multitudes. And the Bible said they had compassion on them. And he said concerning the multitudes, they are like sheep without a shepherd. He did not label them as homeless, as hungry. He didn't use any of those negative connotations to describe who they are. Rather, he saw them in a different light. So what I'm saying to you is, let me drop this this bomb. If you want to know who you are, the way you see other people brother Greg does not reveal who those other people are. It reveals who you are. Wow. I'm going to say that again. The way you see other people does not tell us anything about those other people. It tells us everything about who you are. When I see a man and I judge them by the content of their color the color of their skin and not by their character that tells me that i have a problem not them thank you sir thank you when i see a, a person a man or a woman and i'm not willing to deal with, with the with the woman because she's a woman and i'm speaking to them in a condescending way because of their gender no they don't have a problem i have a problem okay. yes similarly when you and i look at a person Who's adopting same-sex marriage doctrine. As bad as it is, as unnatural as it is, as shameful as it is. If God is not sticking his nose against them, what, what gives you the right authority to do so? It's huge. Because the last time I read my Bible, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. And that world, he did not say, for God so loved the church. He loved the world. And that world includes homosexuals and the proponents of same-sex marriage. Folks, we have a serious issue in our hands. We've already addressed it. I don't subscribe to the doctrine of same sex marriage it's wrong absolutely you cannot find any like to stand upon on the scriptures on it it's wrong however there's a reason for which God left the church in the world yes how should the church respond to these challenges of our day and time if there's going to be a change in a same sex community, the change begins here in Lawrenceville. Amen. It is cheap for me to speak at them and I don't speak to me. Let's go to the scriptures. Ah, man, I need to hurry. Mark chapter 8 how should the church respond? First, we need to understand from the scriptures in Second Corinthians chapter 10, don't turn there, don't turn there. The Bible says very clearly that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but that they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5 says, casting down all Imaginations. Casting down all imaginations and every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So the first thing you and I must recognize this we are in a spiritual formation. It's a spiritual warfare. You, you, You should not be trying to talk spiritual through natural means. I cannot debate with a person that's given to that kind of thinking of same-sex marriage. I'm thinking about an argument. I, I will win them over. No, never, never, never. An argument will never be enough. Never. We are wrestling against spiritual powers and heavenly wickedness in high places. So it will never be accomplished through a debate or through argument. Never. The weapons of our warfare are not kind So we have to correctly assess the problem and then the solution. And I'm going to give that to us in a minute. We have to correctly assess the problem. What is the problem? Because if I don't know what the problem is, I'll be doing the wrong thing. Let me give an example. A young lady comes to a restaurant. She's five feet seven. And she weighs 95 pounds. Thin, very thin. Comes to a nice restaurant. They put the food on her table. And she just take the fork and play around with the table, with the, with the, with the plate. And maybe took one bite and she left. Just one bite. And butchie, you are in the restaurant looking at her and say, ah, what happened to this woman? Is it that she didn't like the food? Because if that's the problem, then you can recommend maybe in the future, maybe eat some Chinese food, Indian food, uh, fish and chips. If if she didn't like it, maybe you can recommend something she would like. Is that correct? Yes. Or perhaps you say maybe she's just fool. Maybe she just she lunch was not, it's not her thing. Maybe dinner will be better, and then you offer her dinner. Until somebody tells you that the woman is anorexic. anorexic. Okay. Do I need to say that word again? Anorexic. You know what it means. Yes. Just to make it plain. A person that's anorexic means that they have a fearful, they have a fear of being fat. And when they look in the mirror, even though they are ninety-five pounds, they are seeing themselves at nine hundred pounds. Oh, you didn't get it. When, when she looks in the mirror, even though she's truly only 95 pounds, the image she gets in her head is I'm 900 pounds. Therefore, when she sees food, she sees food as an enemy. A phobia that will get her to be larger. This is a true, true, true condition that's happening even right now as so we speak. So for a person like that, trying to recommend Indian restaurant, or Chinese restaurant, or eating lunch, or dinner, even though your recommendations are well placed, will never sort the problem out. No, the only way you can help a person like that is they have to have a correct image of who they are. Instead of seeing themselves as 900 pounds, they need to see themselves as 95. What they really are. Yes, this is the point I'm making. And I'm going to give us scriptures in a minute and close this thing out. The church's response to same-sex marriage in the past had been the argument, this is wrong, you need to be gay, you need to be straight, you need to do this. You need to, in fact, some people go and find, they, they say a gay man, they go and, find, they go and give them three girlfriends and say, listen, this is a beautiful woman, what's wrong with you, can't you see? We've been prescribing the wrong medicine for the wrong problem. The answer to homosexuality is not heterosexuality. No. Yes, no. Nah. Nah. Now, when they get the answer, when they get the solution corrected, automatically they get they start getting attractions to opposite sex people. Yes. But to use that as a starting point for remedy is wrong. Our goal should never to try to make same sex people straight people. Wrong approach. Wrong approach. Who now I got your attention. Mark chapter 8. I got your attention now. Mark chapter 8. Verse 22. This is the crux of this whole message now. Then he came to Bethsaida and he brought a blind man to him and begged him to what? Say that again please. To do what? Abba, Are you sure that's what he says? Yeah, that's what he says. Notice. Who are they bringing to him? This is not a rocket science test. It's not a deep test. I'm asking a simple question. Please give me a simple answer. Who are they bringing to him? Thank you very much. Why did did they not bring the blind man to him and say, give him sight? Notice what they asked him to do. They brought the blind man to him and begged him that he might touch him. We don't want him to just have sight, Greg. We want you to touch him. Having sight is a fraction of the problem. But Jesus, if he can get you to touch him, he will not only have his sight restored, he will be made whole. Our problem in the church is we've been trying to get the same-sex people to be straight, a fraction. But if we can bring them to Jesus and let them be touched, By Jesus. They will not only be straight. They will have received all that Jesus is. And the message is totally changed. Now, let me read on. Look at what he did. Look at what Jesus did. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Why would he do a thing like that? Why did Jesus lead the man out of town? he took him away from the mainstream religion. Because he understood that the mainstream religion was part of the problem. Oh my God. And as long as he kept him in town with the mainstream of the religious people, the man would never get what he needed. Folks, some of the same-sex people if we could get them out of our environment, out of our churchianity lifestyle, we see we get a lot more result. But let me go on. Let me go on here. Let me go on really quickly because of time. Verse twenty three. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, "I see men like trees walking." Now, when you read that in the Greek, let me read one more verse, then I can explain this. I see men like trees walking. Yeah? Verse 25. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. In fact, that verse 25 helps explain verse 24. What happened in verse 25? The Bible says he saw everyone clearly. What's the implication? In verse 24, it's not that he did not see at all. At the first touch, most people interpret this verse and say, well, they need, this, this man needed a second touch from Jesus to be healed. No, that's not true. That's not true. I'm going to tell you what, what, what Jesus is doing here in a minute. But verse 24 says, He saw everyone clearly. Indication is, in verse 24, He saw, but did not see everyone. Yes. Jesus told us in Matthew 22, they asked him the question. What are the two commandments of the law? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your body, your soul, and your spirit. And the second is like the first. Love thy neighbor as yourself. What's going on here? In verse 24, the man saw Jesus, but he saw everybody else in a distorted image. God, I see you. I can reckon with you. You just help me. But all these other people, I see them as men. I see, them, I see men as trees walking. If I was to ask us this question this morning, many of us would say we love God. We can understand that. But do you love Rene? Uh, I have a question about that. Do you love bank? I'm not sure. Do you love Victor? Sometimes. God, yes, all of the time. But the other men, I see them as men as trees walking. In other words, Oh my goodness, God help me explain this. The first touch he got, he saw Jesus but saw everybody else in a distorted fashion. They are a problem. They are a hindrance. They stop me. They don't like me. They talk about me. They gossip about me. Uh, Jesus, yes, you I can relate to, but these other people, I don't know. I'm not sure about them. Jesus said, ah, you see men as trees. You see them as a hindrance as a stomping ground, as something that obstructs you, you need a second touch. Because in this economy, you not only love God, you must love people. So the second time around, when Jesus touched him, he said, I see everyone clearly. Which means now, Jesus, I not only love you, but I love Marie, Amen. I love Mary, Amen. I love Daniel, I love Greg, I love Bushy. I not only love you God, but I love everybody else around me, I can see clearly now. Because Jesus did not want him to have a touch. He didn't just want to heal his eyes and not his soul. He didn't just want to allow him to see physically but not be able to appreciate all the other people God has put around him. That's the problem with the church. We love God but these homosexuals hey! So we have one touch. And we need a second touch because we will never be able to reach them if we truly don't have the love of God in our heart that is demonstrable in the way we relate to them. You will never argue a gay person into the kingdom of God or to change the other of his ways if they don't see the love of God in you. Don't bring them the law; bring them love. Five things I need to close with. Ah, oh, God. Whatever I did not explain properly on that Mark, Mark 8, I hope that God will bring it to you. Because I know the way I received it. Yes, sir. Our devotion to God must be shown in our interaction with other people. Yes, Period. And it cannot be selectively. No, sir. It cannot be selectively. selectively. Yes, now, five things. Five things. You notice Jesus told that man to look up, Mark chapter eight. The first time he touched him, he saw men on streets walking. So the second time he said to him, "Look up." Wow. My goodness. What does that mean? Now, Mary, you can see, but look up. I want you to get God's perspective. Yes. The first touch, you can see men on streets walking. You see their problems, their hindrances, their obstacles. The problems they bring you. That's what you're saying. Now I want you to look up. Elevate your sight. See from my perspective. How I see them. And five things come out clearly. When we look up. Number one. We see them positionally. Number one. We see them positionally. What do I mean by that? Ephesians 1 says in verse 4 that even for the gays they were chosen in Christ before the world began. Can you receive that? Religion will not let you receive it. Tradition and religion will not let you receive it. This is my job. I have to tell you the truth. I don't condone the act. I just told you it's shameful. It's not godly. But what should be our response to them? We must see them the way God sees them. God says, you know what? Positionally, they were in me before the world began. Wow. That's scripture. Wow. I mean, I can tell by the, by, the, by, the, by the wonderful ovation I'm getting. Positionally, Jesus is seeing them as a bride of Christ. You guys are looking at me Say, saying, how can a homosexual be a part of Christ? Excuse me, where were you before you got born again? Or were you born again from your mother's womb? Or do you think it was the day you got born again that you were in Christ? The day you got born again was when you showed up. But your name was already written before you ever got there. so we need to see them positionally number two we need to see them prophetically what do I mean by that you need to look at them from what they are intended to become rather than judging them based on where they are now you can say Mr. Joe Mrs. Sally ah I see what God has for you you are better than this because God's plan for you are plans of peace and not of evil to bring you to an expected end ah we're going to have question and answer I can see (laughs) prophetically who is going to birth it if the church disdains them who will birth this plan of God to bring these people into the fold if not us who if not now when So we must see them positionally. We must see them prophetically. Number three, we must see them potentially. Potentially. What are they carrying? The homosexuals. What? What are they carrying? Can you imagine the resources that has gone into this debate and battle? If they could bring those resources to advance the kingdom of God, don't you know the gospel will have been preached all over the world? Secondly, how about the talents? Go to Hollywood and say oh, what, how, what talent is doing in Hollywood. And many of them are in this way. These are talents that the body of Christ is doing without because we are still fighting a battle that God has already set resolved. So think of the potentials that they, 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 they bring to the table. So you see them positionally, you see them prophetically, you see them uh, potentially. And number four, you see them progressively. Progressively. When you started interacting with these people, they were a certain way. But over a course of time, you begin to see some progress. They've not fully come to Jesus, but you must appreciate, ah, they're changing. You need to see the progress. You need to remember where God is bringing them from or has brought them from. And lastly, but not it is, you must see them providentially. When you look up, you can see all these five things providentially. What do I mean by that? Providence. Why is God present around you? Why is it for you, for you to become gay? No, sir. No, seriously. Why is God bringing them around you? Because everywhere you go now, you see these things. Every TV show has it. So why? 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 You need to see the providence here. Meaning, you need to ask yourself the question, why is God allowing me to be around this people or bring them around me? And what does God want to do to that interaction? We see it positionally, prophetically, potentially, progressively, and providentially. These five things. That should be the church's response. Yeah. We are the agent of God's love and grace. Not the U.S. Supreme Court. Amen. God has never given the court the voice to represent him in the earth. No, it is because we have not done our job that is going to deco- the U.S. Court, Supreme Court. Right, sir. So what I'm saying to us is we need to change. We need to change. We need to align our heart to God and then ask God to help us to minister effectively to the people he has placed around us. Amen. Amen? Amen. The key to change for the homosexual community is not making them straight, but making them see Jesus. The reason they are the way they are is because they have a distorted image of who they are. Yes. That's the problem. A man says to you, ah, even though I'm born as a man, I see myself in a woman's body. And therefore, uh, uh, yeah." So. That's, that's the issue. No, I'm not saying this to be funny. So seriously, please. I mean, this, this is the truth. And then, and then the other side is the same thing. So it's an image problem. It's a distortion of who they are. That's the problem. You do not solve an image problem by argument. They need to see themselves. the way God created and saw them. That's the only way change can take place. Are you following me? Amen. Amen. So we respond correctly. God will honor it and bring the change we're all looking for. Please don't engage into any disrespectful debates with anyone that does not have the same orientation as you sexually. You'll be just as wrong as they are. You need to live above that. You need to ask God for the grace to love them. Do Do we believe that God loves everybody? Yes. You really believe that? So why can you not love them? Why? It's a serious question. It's easy is the is cop out to put the onus on them. That's the easy thing to do. Anybody can do that. They need to change. How about me and you? Why don't we begin the change that we want to see in loving them unconditionally? Why can I not love my brother my sister and say, you know what, I love you. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't practice what you do. I don't accept what you are doing. I don't believe in that stuff. However, I want to let you know I love you absolutely unconditionally. That's when we can be seen, begin to see the power of love unleashed to bring change. So this Tuesday, we're asking God, to use first of all, we, we, need, to, we need to acknowledge God, as, such, as a church, we've not done our job, yes, sir. Not at all. We'll be missing in action. So, God is now up to the Supreme Court. We're sorry, and then ask God to overthrow the council of those men and women to do the right thing, amen.